<clears throat> JCD, come up here, my bud. So, you know, we, we have an incredibly close relationship with this family, and our kids always refer to, to Dan and Tori as their cousins. So um, where, the, where the, the brother-sibling relationship comes in, we're not 100% sure, but it's there, and, and we're grateful for it. And this church has been uh, a parallel with us in our journey. I mean, uh, you guys, I think it was the 1st of August, you had your first meeting. On the 8th of August, we had our first meeting. So there was something of a timing that happened where there was this overlapping, and we were blessed to, to plant at a similar time to you guys. But we're grateful for, for this relationship. And, and this is a family. And I'm saying this because I want you to know how much we care for this family and for this church. And John, you'll see him far more frequently than you see us. Um, he's been here quite a few times. He's got a lot of business in Joburg. And this is a place where he comes and spends time with when, when he's in Joburg. And in Philippians 2 from verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. I need you to know that every time he comes, he comes and brings report back and he shares about what God is doing at Redemption Family Church. And we get to celebrate as a church what what is happening in the life of this body. And it says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For we have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And my request of you is when you see him, receive him as if you're receiving us. Because we send him knowing that he has a genuine concern for this place. He, he takes time out, he plans his trips around coming here just so that he can see what's happening. So he can come and bring feedback to us and say, they're doing well. We're contending for them. This is what's happening in the life of this church. And I get to hear that from someone other than Joe. And, and it's good to hear that. So I wanted to just share that because that's the picture of the partnership in which we operate. It's the picture of the partnership in which we, we, we build together for a common vision and a common goal, even though we are located 700 kilometers away from you guys. But we do it together and we do it in partnership. So my bro, appreciate you. Um, I'm going to ask Shonatis to come stand with me as well, and uh, she has a couple of words, and uh, some of the, the more specific ones she'll probably share afterwards, but there's a couple that just set the tone for this morning, and I want her to, to speak into that. I know that, that we're quite tight with time, so we're going to go through things quite quickly, but we're going to also trust that God does what God does. I just, as we were in worship, I just really have a sense of God's Spirit hovering here. And um, I just really, yeah, in this moment, I really see, even as Nick's speaking and, and sharing with us, that the Holy Spirit is here and He's working. And I feel like this is quite a vulnerable moment. Um, and to just open up our hearts to Him and uh, just, yeah, even allow Him to... Uh, work in and through you in this time right now um, but I really just felt the word vulnerability and then the the other word I just um, I just had for um, for Sylvie was I, I just felt that um, I saw a picture of a square and then I saw a picture of a, a three-dimensional box and I felt like uh, the season that you're going into you have some expectation and then I saw this picture of this three-dimensional box, and I feel that God's saying the expectation that you have 
he's going to surpass completely. And I almost feel him saying in such a loving and enduring way, oh baby girl, you don't even know the beginning just yet. You've only seen one dimension of what I've got to show you. And so, yeah, I just really want, to, want us to um, set our hearts in a place of vulnerability, even as Nick speaks. Just, I really feel the presence of God is here. Okay. The other night, um, so I wasn't feeling well, and Shanae was getting ready to cook, and she mentioned that she was going to buy some burgers and and I thought she was going to cook a meal, and she said, no, how do I use the gas bra? And I thought, no, let me come in and bra, and you now I've got to take, step up to my, my manly duties. And, and I went and got the, the bra on, and it was busy working. And as I was kind of standing with my back to our view from, from where we stay, I started to hear this rumbling. And two years ago, I would have had no idea what it was, but having been there for the last two years, I've become quite familiar with this. And I could hear the sound of the sugarcane burning. And it's a common practice that before they harvest sugarcane, we're in a farming area, we're out in, in amongst the sugarcane field. So our house overlooked sugarcane. And when I heard it, I couldn't see anything. And I turned around and I was looking for where I could hear the rumbling. And I saw this, this kind of pink haze just over the mountain in front of us. It's like a, a, like a hill or a ridge. And within about five minutes, this was the picture that came over. And, and, and I took a photograph of this roaring uh, fire coming through the sugar cane over this hill from the other side. And, and I heard it before I saw it. And I felt this morning that the title of the, the, the message is, There are rumblings on the horizon. Can you hear them? And, and I want us to position ourselves in receiving this message from a place of, Lord, what are you saying? What are you busy with? What are you doing? I think we, we're facing many disruptions. I think there's things that are happening. And how do we position ourselves to walk into the fullness of what God is doing and what God is saying? This morning, uh, kind of just before the meeting started, I went on a bit of a prayer walk with Heinrich. And we were walking. And Eben was walking probably two or three steps ahead of him on the side of the road. And he was walking with his back and his dad was standing behind him. And he heard the sound of a car coming. And as he heard the car, he turned around and he looked at his, his eyes locked with his dad's eyes. He didn't look at the car that was coming. He froze and he just focused on his dad's face because he knew that was where the instruction was coming from as to what to do. And there was this beautiful moment where he just stood there and absolutely still peering into his dad's eyes. He heard the sound, but that wasn't where his focus was. He focused on his father. And, and one of the things that we, we heard of even this morning, Jesus did only what he saw his father doing. That is how he operated in his ministry. He did what he saw his father doing. And this morning, I feel that there's some stuff that God's saying over this body, over this church. But my, my, my prayer is, let us set our eyes on Jesus. Because we only want to do what we see Him doing. And, and the context of this comes out of three chapters in the Bible. And, and the three chapters are Matthew 8, Matthew 9, and Matthew 10. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read through all of this. But I'm going to ask you to go through as a church and read through those three chapters. Go spend time and ask God to reveal some of this. And I'm going to give you some of the highlights that I feel that he's wanting to share with you this morning. But, 
But spend some time with it and delve into the, the rumblings because it's amazing how both Matthew 8 and Matthew 9 are rumblings of things to come. They, they start to, and, and the disciples aren't actually aware of what's happening. There's a moment where Jesus calms the storm and it says the disciples marveled at what he had done because he has authority even over the storms. It's Matthew 9 verse 27. But the disciples were unaware of what they were marveling at. Jesus was preparing them for and was about to release them into. So they were there standing and watching all these things take place. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. I cannot believe what he's doing. I cannot believe the things that we are seeing unfold before us. But unbeknown to them, that was actually a training ground. A friend of ours once shared on how does Jesus train and raise up people. And it says, well, Jesus did and the disciples watched. Jesus did and the disciples helped. Jesus did. I mean, the disciples did and, and Jesus helped. The disciples did and Jesus watched. And then it was their responsibility to do while someone else watched. And at this time, he was busy doing and they were watching. But the time was coming when he was actually going to release them and to start to do what he would, had called them to do. So if you turn with me to Matthew 10. And it says from verse 1. It says, and he called to him, this is Jesus, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. All authority on heaven and earth had been given to him. And out of that authority, he bestowed upon authority upon his disciples. It says, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So that is spiritual, physical, mental um, healing that was required. He gave them an authority to speak healing over the lives of people. It then goes on to say in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no room of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. It's amazing how he doesn't say pray for the sick, pray for the dead, pray for those who are demon possessed. He actually says heal the sick, raise the dead and cast out demons. Far too often people come up and we want to give them prayer when they're coming for healing. They want to give them prayer when they're coming to be delivered. We want to give them prayer when the dead are lying there and we say, actually, no, we've got to have an authority to speak over these things. That was his instruction. It says, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belt, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your word, shake it off the dust from your feet and you will leave that house or town. 
Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Then the next heading from verse 16 is persecution will come. I want to highlight a few points that come from this. It says in uh, 10 verse 1, he gave them authority. If you go look at uh, chapter 8 from verse 5 to 13, it speaks about the faith of the centurion. The centurion comes, he speaks about the fact that he's got a servant who's ill, and, and Jesus says, let me come with you. And he says, no, no, I am a man of authority, I'm a man under authority, and I know that if you just say the word, he will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith before. What was happening is Jesus was starting to show his disciples what it meant to operate in authority. Then he goes and, and, and a few moments later, he's on the boat. There's this massive storm. The disciples are fearful. He's asleep. And Jesus goes and he speaks to the storm and, storm and it settles. And he starts to exercise the authority that he was about to bestow on his disciples. This is in Matthew 8. Matthew 10 from verse 7, it says, proclaim the kingdom. Matthew 9 from verse 1, what happens is Jesus goes into the house of Matthew, the tax collector. He calls Matthew to be his disciples. He's sitting there with all the tax collectors. The, the scribes come in, they look at him and they say, surely you shouldn't be sitting with these people. And he says, but is it not the, the sick who need a doctor? What he starts to do is he starts to gear them for understanding what it means to proclaim the kingdom. In Matthew 8, when he goes into Peter's house and Peter's mom-in-law is sick, what he does is he goes and heals her and she begins to serve. So in Matthew 9, when he's speaking about the sick needing a doctor, he's speaking about needing Jesus as Savior. But then what happens in when Matthew 8, when he heals Peter's mom-in-law, she comes up and she starts to serve him and speaks of his lordship. It's a beautiful prophetic picture of the lordship of Jesus. As she is made whole, so she is equipped to serve him. The king in his kingdom. It's not just Jesus as saviour, but Jesus as lord and saviour. He is both. And he starts to show them what it means to, to um, operate in the, in the context of the kingdom. When, when the man who is paralysed comes before him, he looks upon the man and he says, Your sins are forgiven. The scribes say, who is this man that can forgive sins? And they start to ridicule him for that. He knew that the man needed healing. And he says, well, to demonstrate to you, to appease you, that I can forgive sins. He says to the man, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walk. But again, he starts to show the disciples that he's here for more than just a physical outworking. He's here for a spiritual outworking. So the man comes up for healing because he knows that, I mean, it's obvious, it's clear and evident. In the physical, the man is paralyzed. Imagine if he gets up and he walks. What an incredible miracle. But Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. Spiritual healing that was required to take place. When Jesus looked upon the body of a, a man who was lame, he saw the heart of a man who was dead. heard a statement a little while ago that Jesus doesn't come to make bad people good. He comes to make dead people alive. So he instructs his disciples, go and proclaim the kingdom. But he's already demonstrated to them what that means. 
He's already starting to show them how to look into the Spirit and say, actually, there's something more at hand. Joey said today, are we seeing what's happening spiritually in this place? Matthew 10, verse 8, it says, Heal the sick. Matthew 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. Matthew 8, verse 1 to 4, Jesus cleansed the leper. So that's not the first time when they're hearing the instruction of cleanse the leper, they've watched Jesus cleanse the leper. Matthew 8, from verse 14 to 17, it says that Jesus healed the sick and he cast out all the demons. In Matthew 9, verse 18 to 26, Jairus comes to him. And if you and it talks about the man whose daughter was dead, Jesus goes there. He says, no, she's only sleeping. The crowd are surrounding her. They start laughing at him. He puts them outside. And what does he do? He raises her from the dead. Cleanse the lepers, heal the sick, raise the dead. They've just witnessed him fulfill all three of those things. They've witnessed him operate in that authority before he entrusted that authority to them. He never sent them out without an understanding of what they were doing. He never sent them out without having previously demonstrated what they were actually going to be operating in. He goes on to say, go into every house that is worthy. But when he's sitting in Matthew's house with the tax collectors, that was the house that he had found worthy. So those who are worthy are not those who are righteous, but those who are open to receive the message that is coming in. We walked this morning, we walked along the streets and I saw countless um, apartments. I mean, just that one street over there, um, I think you could plant three or four churches and there's not enough space to, to reach that entire community. On one little dead end road, with the, the countless, um, go find the places that are worthy, he told them. And then they witnessed him sitting amongst the tax collectors. Says, Surely the sick need a doctor. Those who are worthy are those who are, are ready to receive the message. And then Jesus says, persecution will come. When he cast out the demons of the, the, the two men, what happens is the crowd look upon him and they say, please can you go from here? Please can you leave us? He showed them what it's like to be rejected from a town. It's actually rather just go. He left. Later on, he cast out other demons and, and the scribes look upon him and they say, to, they say, this man is casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons. They look upon him and they start to liken him as a servant of Satan. He says, you'll receive persecution, but they've witnessed him being persecuted. The rumblings were there. The rumblings were already taking place before they saw what was happening. But the thing I want to focus on, and I've got three minutes to, to do this. But, but the thing I want to focus on is the end of Matthew 9. 
from verse 35, and it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So you see what Jesus was doing? Exactly what he was about to release the disciples to do. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The chief shepherd desires shepherds in that region. Libby, as we were praying in the car this morning, had a prophetic picture for Joe and Kath. And the prophetic picture that she had, she said she saw a thousand nuts. And someone came and took two. And, and the picture that she had and what she felt the interpretation of that was there was a thousand other people that could have been sent to that place. But God chose the two of them. And there was a quote that I've heard this week and it says he uses the unlikely to do the impossible. He desires to place shepherds in an area when he looks upon the sheep and he realizes they are without a shepherd. This area has many sheep who are without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, there's a caution for me in this, and I've seen it Time and time again, we often we pray for workers, we pray earnestly on their behalf, we see the workers coming in and we're like, surely not them, Lord. I don't like the way that they do things. Those people are kind of strange, they're weird. I don't, we, we can't agree on much. I, I, we clash. We were walking today, I saw this garden and there were a myriad of trees and plants and it was the most chaotic, un, like disorganized, Poorly planned garden I had seen. And I felt God said, that's the picture of my church. Because he places the succulents, these desert plants, next to the palm tree. Tropical. He places the, the, the evergreens next to these trees that are going to bring us these beautiful orange leaves in, in, in autumn. And they don't seem to fit together, yet they work because that's the picture of his church. And my encouragement is be careful that you do not discredit the workers that you've been earnestly praying for. Because it's his harvest and he sends out the workers. Now the purpose of this here, where the reason they burn the sugar cane is they're preparing it for the harvest. And I feel the rumbling is for the harvest that's coming. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But God's been preparing this church. There's been rumblings on the horizon. He's been doing things... And some of you have marveled at what he's been doing. And he's saying, what you've been marveling at, I'm actually preparing you for. Because I want to bestow authority upon you to do the things that I have been doing. As I only do the things I see my father doing, so you too should only do the things that you see me doing. The rumblings are of preparation time because the harvest is coming. I'm readying the harvest Malachi 3, it speaks about the refiner of silver. Now, why do they refine silver? Is they have to purify the silver so that it is ready to be sculpted into what it was destined to be. There are hearts that are being readied in this place. Hearts that are being ready to receive. The obstacles that are holding them back are being removed so that you can come in. So that you can dine with the worthy, not dine with the righteous. 
so that you can dine with those who have been prepared and are refined for the season to come. But redemption, there's a rumbling that's happening. And, and, and my question is, do you perceive it? And I end off with just a couple of little questions. Can you see the rumblings? Isaiah 43, 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Number two, what are you marveling at in his kingdom? Number three, can you see the hearts that have been prepared? Four, which homes are welcoming you? May we never be the people that determine their worthiness based on our own personal likes and desires. Number five, can we see that we have been trained with purpose? Can we see what is happening spiritually over people and not just the physical symptoms? When Jesus looked upon the crowds and he saw them to be harassed and helpless, that was not just physical ailments, that was a spiritual harassment over them that he saw and he had compassion. The word compassion, it means to be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion, to have compassion. To have the bowels yearn is what it means. Compassion is not a feeling, it's a physical experience over the lives of people. Shanae prophesied over Joe and Kath this morning that they will be crying tears over the people of this place because God's stirring something in them. He is moving them in compassion. It's a physical experience and he's moving this church in a place of compassion where your bowels yearn for the people as you walk past them, as you see them drive, as you see them running in the mornings, as you go and you pray over them, as you walk upon the apartment blocks, as you see these magnificent houses that are lavish and you see the brokenness and the hurts and the spiritual uh, depravity of the people and your heart yearns. You look upon the crowd and you say, oh, they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. How do we be that to them? How do we point them to our chief shepherd, Jesus, who is going to take the dead and make them alive? Number seven, do we position ourselves to see the crowd? Number eight, have we grasped the authority that we've been given? People often write things off to lack of faith when it's actually lack of authority. Because if, if, if Joe prays for them, they will be healed. So you have faith that if he lays hands on them, they will receive healing. So it's not a lack of faith, it's a lack of authority to say, well, what happens if I lay hands on them? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom. Who must do that? Us. Priesthood of all believers. Who's been given authority? Us. Whose authority? His, to do what? What we've already seen him do. So therefore it is no longer impossible. It is no longer operating in the realm that is, that is impossible. But I heard this quote and I'm going to really end off with this here. Um, uh, it hasn't come through. But uh, I saw a quote this week and it says there that logic screams no and faith whispers yes. This really struck, I was listening to a sermon, it was a couple who had church planted, they were sharing a test and it hit me in the heart. And then I was reading a book and it's a book on, it's a fictional book of a guy who 
um, attempted to climb Everest in real life. So it was this fictional book based on a, on a real life person. And, and the one statement as he was climbing Everest, it says there that his brain screamed, turn back, but his heart whispered, keep going. And I thought, it's amazing how I heard this quote this week, and then I read this in this book, and God's clearly saying something. But there might be times when we look at it and we're saying, logic saying no. Our brains are telling us to turn back, not me, not, I'm, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I don't know how to do this, I haven't been equipped. And Jesus is saying, but you've watched me do it. You've marveled at me doing it, I've given you the authority. So when your brain is screaming no, when logic is screaming no, I believe he's saying yes. Elijah, when he was hiding in the cleft of the rock and the wind came and the fire came and, and God wasn't in that, but when he heard the gentleness of his whisper, come and say, yes, Lord. Gentleness of his whisper.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the gift of these people. I thank you for the gift of this body, for the place that you have sent them, Lord. And it's not a coincidence that these are the workers that you have chosen to, one, reap the harvest, but two, to pray earnestly on behalf of more workers. Active role in bringing in new workers. I pray that you bless them, that you anoint them. I pray, hold your hands out to receive what God is saying. And Lord, I pray that you give them the authority that you have destined for them to walk into, Lord. A boldness and, and a supernatural outworking of who you are. Yes, we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in our Father. And I pray that over them now, Lord, that as the rumblings come, may they turn their eyes up and see your eyes. Jesus. As Eben turns and looks into the eyes of his dad, he waits. What is it? What must I do right now? Position yourself and turn your eyes and look into the eyes of What must I do now? With the rumblings on the horizon. Not your authority, his authority. Not your will, his will. Not your ways, his ways. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for a breaking open and an unlocking of this region. That even the smallest clan will become a mighty nation. In the name of Jesus, we speak this over them. And I, Father, I pray that you bless this place, that you lavish this place, that your presence will flow from this place as the train of the road fills the temple. In Jesus' mighty name, bless them. Amen. Amen.